This is episode 410 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, How to Signal for Help, Whistles, Hollering, Infrared, Fire, and Beyond. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my ebook and audiobook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. It's time to finally advance your preparedness goals. Get the ebook or audiobook and join the forums. Go to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com or click the link in the show notes to get some more information. All right, before we actually start reading the article, I have a lot of stuff to, uh, to kind of talk about here. Um, the first thing is this. Last Thursday, last week, I did an interview with um, Dr. Scott Tunis of SurvivaGuard, and he is uh, the creator of SurvivaGuard Vitamins. And it was a very interesting interview. And so I took that interview down and I tried to clean up the audio as much as possible and put it up as episode 409. So 409. So if you are, you know, you're, you're downloading the episodes, you're like, wait a minute, there looks, there looks like there's another episode here and uh, you weren't expecting it. I released that this weekend. And so you have the audio format there. I thought it was a very interesting article. We talk a little bit about, I'm sorry, a very interesting podcast. We talk uh, about uh, some of the the issues with Hurricane Florence. Uh, We talk about his route into preparedness. He's an ophthalmologist, so he is a real MD. He performs, you know, a lot, thousands of surgeries every year. As an MD, he did his research on vitamins and wanted to bring something that would be very beneficial to the preparedness community. And so I, there was, we talked about a lot about vitamins and things that you probably did know. A lot of things I didn't know, and I've read a lot of articles on vitamins uh, for for Prepper website. So I hope you enjoy it. You can go back there and listen to it. I'm also going to drop uh, the link in the show notes if you want to go to Ed That Matters. Because what I did is I brought down the video and embedded it into a post just to kind of make it easy for people to find it. So you don't have to go to Facebook and try to, you know, uh, just scroll down on on the Facebook, on the Prepper Website Facebook page and uh, you can easily find it. So if you want to watch the video, you can do it that way. Or if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, just download episode 409. And uh, I'm going to link to all of that in the, in the show notes so that you can easily, easily get to it. Hey, not too long ago, it, I believe it was episode 406, right? We talked a little bit about supplies, the stockpile for cleaning. And uh, I just asked, you know, hey, does anyone have any insight into it? And uh, Jay responded in a comment. He said, hey, Todd, just wanted to chime in. My wife has been making our laundry soap for about six years using this recipe. She's even had a pretty successful home business selling it and other products like hand sanitizer, diaper rash cream, bug repellent, bar soap, lots of stuff. All natural made at our dining, dining table. Anyway, to boost the laundry powder, add some sodium percarbonate. It's safe, natural, and is better known as OxyClean. 
All right, so Jay, thanks so much for that uh, helpful bit of information. It's good to know that people are actually using that recipe because if you remember back to 406 or if you haven't listened to that episode, those recipes are really, really easy. And it was like a handful of different resources, uh, different ingredients to stockpile and that they could make a whole host of different cleaning agents for all different kinds of things in your home. And uh, so, uh, again, Jay, thanks so much for uh, dropping that into the comments over on episode 406. Hey, we did receive a review from iTunes, and uh, this actually was written on September 11th. It just took a little while to get to me because I don't, I don't have iTunes in Ireland. And so this one's coming from Ireland, and I believe I'm saying this right. Please forgive me if I'm not. Dara, Dara Flynn, I hope that's correct. Uh, if, if I'm not, uh, if I don't get that right, I apologize. But uh, yeah, so because it's not, you know, the United States version of iTunes, it takes a little while to get to me. And so again, this is coming from, uh, you know, from Ireland and uh, just great, you know, great words here. Very encouraging to me. Uh, Dara says this, uh, this is a wonderful resource to anyone interested in the subject of preparedness. I am ex-military and a venture scout leader, heavily involved with the outdoors and the care of others. Of all of the out- online resources available, the Prepper Podcast and the associated website, PrepperPodcast.com, are the absolute best I have come across, hands down. And this podcast, add this podcast to your library and stay informed, educated and alert. Todd, the narrator, has a clear speaking voice with great articulation and is a pleasure to listen to. I genuinely look forward to the end of a tough day when I can kick back listening. Todd and his great podcast. Thank you, Todd. Hey, thanks so much for that, uh, for leaving that five-star review. And then the words, very encouraging. I really do appreciate that. Uh, It means a lot to me. And it's one of those things that just, I'm going to continue to do the podcast. But when I get words like this, it's just, like I said, very, very encouraging. All right, so a couple of other things before, very quickly, before I jump into the article. Um, if you are not familiar with uh, Twitter and you know, you're know you not on Twitter, uh, you might not realize how Twitter and really every social media is uh, really pushing to silence conservative and right-wing thought going into the, uh, to the election here in America. And just recently, they uh, locked out James Wood, the actor James Wood. And, you know, he's very outspoken on Twitter. He's a, you know, he's a strong conservative and all that kind of stuff. But they locked him out for something that uh, a tweet or actually it was a meme that he tweeted out in July of all places. You know, July. Really? Come on. And so we're two months out and they decided to say, hey, we're going to you know, we're going to uh, ban you from Twitter or we're going to lock you out of your Twitter account uh, here in September for something that you did in July. And it was a meme that was making fun of, uh, you know, I, I guess you can take it different different ways. But his tweet says this. This is pretty scary that there is a distinct possibility this could be real. Not likely, but in this day and age of absolute liberal insanity, it is at least possible. And so the tweet or the meme that he shared is three guys and they're taking, you know, they're taking a picture and it says, we're making a woman's vote worth more by staying home. And so that's what they banned him. That's what they said that they, they, they locked him out. They didn't ban him. They locked him out of his uh, account. And so they won't give him access to account, his account unless he promises to delete this tweet. And so, 
again, guys, this is absolutely crazy that stuff like this is happening. And they're just finding any excuse because they believe that they can control the, um, you know, what's out there and they can control the voices out there. The problem is, is that this kind of stuff gets shared. I mean, right? Everybody starts sharing it and it gets out there. And if anything, that's going to rally conservatives and right wing people to come out to vote for sure. So I don't know. Um, you know, I just I can't believe that it was something as simple as that. But anyway, on the other side, you have all kinds of other things being tweeted out there, things that are crazy and nothing is being done about it. And so it just looks like they're it doesn't it doesn't look like it. They are targeting right wing conservatives, you know, wanting to wanting to silence that thought out there. So just wanted to share that with you. I also want to share with you that I released the wiki, wiki, the weekly, I can't even talk anymore. The weekly watchman. Uh, it is prepper news and current events. And, uh, I did that. I do that over on edthatmatters.com. And basically what it is, it is a bunch of videos that I have, uh, watched. Actually, I don't watch them. I listen to them. Um, and they are great information. They are from Bible prophecy teachers, but a lot of the times they're, they're taking care of, or they're dealing with current events. And a lot of the times current events that you're not listening or that you're not hearing about. Right. And so, uh, I would really, if you are into wanting to know what's going on with current events, I would listen to John Haller's prophecy update from this last Sunday. I think it's a great one. There's a lot of good information there and, uh, hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll take a listen to it. Um, a lot of the times I just play YouTube in my vehicle as I'm in my truck as I'm driving and I just listen to it through my through my radio through my car radio. The other one is if you are a believer and you are into Bible prophecy. I, Amir Shafati was with Jack Hibbs, I believe, uh, at his church in Calvary Chapel, and they had a happening now, um, I guess, video episode that aired on September 20th. And I thought, man, this was really good. It talked about the end times, talked about Bible prophecy. And if you are interested in it, there's a lot of good stuff there. And so there's other good stuff as well. Jacob Prash is talking about um, that there's U.S. Marines in Syria and all the, the quagmire that, that is over there in Syria and how there's, there's not a way that you can really figure out all the things that are going on over there. And then just there's others that I have linked to as well. So if you're interested in that, and guys, again, even if you are not a believer, but you just want to know current hist- or current events, I would really go listen to John Haller's. Um, you know, you can eventually towards the end, you know, he starts talking about, you know, Israel and he starts talking about Bible prophecy and things like that. But a lot of it is just current events that are very interesting things that you should know. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes if you want to go check that out. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from BackdoorSurvival.com, and it's entitled, How to Signal for Help, Whistles, Hollering, Infrared, Fire, and Beyond. And so one of the things that's important to know is how to get attention if you find yourself in some kind of an emergency situation, wherever that might be, whether you are stranded because you know the floodwaters are coming up on you, or you are out in the woods somewhere, or you are out in the desert and uh, people are looking for you, you're on an island or whatever it might be, there should be a way that you can signal other people that would be looking for you. And so this article 
provide some insight into that. And uh, hopefully I can give you just a little bit of commentary or give you some advice as we move forward. So let's go ahead and start reading. I was browsing through some survival books when I thought about how there are not a lot of posts in recent times that talk about all the different ways to signal for help or warn others of impending danger. This is a valuable skill, but there is a lot to remember. I'm going to talk about a lot of different signaling methods. Try to familiarize yourself with those that are most relevant to you. For reference, you may want to have a card laminated in your bag. This is especially true for signaling for airplanes, something that is going to be a rare thing indeed, but still worth considering. So fires and flares. One trick I read about is that if you are stranded and there is a downed vehicle with fuel, you can sometimes salvage the fuel and use it on a fire to create a big cloud of gross smoke. Sure, it's not so great for the environment, but in a survival situation, the environment can take a little hit for your team. Flares and flare guns are great if you have them. A lot of boats and even planes are outfitted with them. Of course, you only have so many shots, so you need to make them count. Now, building up a large fire of any type can be helpful, but is not possible in some areas. You need to be careful if stranded out in a dry area when it comes to fire. Starting a forest fire that burns even a little could make your situation far more dire. One of the universally recognized ways to send out an SOS using fire is to start three fires in a triangle formation or in a straight line with 100 feet between each fire. If you don't have that much room, then work with what you've got, but three fires are the magic number. So what about bright objects like a poncho or a flag? Anything bright will increase your visibility. A cheap emergency poncho in a bright color will work. I did a post about different types of ponchos and tried to include some of the one-use types that are useful for a lot of different things, but not expensive. Tying a bright poncho, shirt, or flag to a pole and waving it is one method, but there's also something to be said for climbing to a higher point and placing it there. All rescues are different in some way, so you will have to use some common sense when deciding the best place to put something bright. I honestly am not comfortable climbing very high in a tree, but in a major emergency, I would suck it up and do it. Wigwagging, sending messages with a stick and flag. Just waving a stick with a piece of fabric on the end of it can get you a lot of attention. Brighter colors, of course, work better. Keep it simple when it comes to this type of signaling unless you really need to get a specific message across beyond just letting someone know where you are and you think they will actually understand. For those that want to take it to a different level and know they will be understood, you can use a method called wigwagging that used the Morse code system. To do this, you always start a letter with the stick straight up in the air. The dot is made each time by swinging the flag to the right and then to the upright position again. The more traditional wigwagging methods involve using the movements shown in the diagram below. So there are some graphics here, and then there's a graphic here um, for the, the wigwag alphabet on how to do that, or at least the numbers on how to do that. And so there's the alphabets and the numerals. Each movement begins and ends with the flag and pole held upright. A lot of people just go with Morse code when it comes to flag sig signaling. I would think it would be more easily recognized than traditional wigwagging. All right, so Morse code. This is an old form of sending messages in code, but it is worth knowing for some emergencies. 
Gay did an excellent post on Morse code. I recommend taking a look at it if you're interested in learning more about it and how to do it. So there is a link to that Morse code article here. What about using noise, like a whistle? Making a lot of noise can help alert others to your location. You can yell yourself hoarse if you are not careful. So if you have something like a whistle, you better, you're better off using it, at least for part of your signaling. The more noise, the better. A lot of fire starters and survival tools have whistles built in, so you may already have one and not even realize it. So she's linking here to the SOL, um, Survival Outdoor Longer Slim Rescue Howler Whistle. Um, and so, you know, she's talking about here that they make, you know, decent, decent whistles. What I would say here is buy a decent whistle. You should buy uh, a, one of the, the decent ones that, you know, like uh, I would not I would not rely on the type of whistles that come in those, you know, like four in one uh, survival tools or anything like that. I would not I probably even wouldn't. Uh, I, I know that I'm kind of going against, you know, what they're writing here as far as this SOL whistle. And I've never used, to be honest, I've never used this SOL whistle, but I would want to know that uh, something would for sure work. And so I have purchased those, you know, just the kind of whistle like uh, your PE teacher would have or any coach would have. Those are work really, really well. They are made to get the attention of everybody on a field while things are going on. We use them when we would go out and do recess duty and things like that to get all the kids' attention. And so I think you know they're loud. They make they make a great noise maker. And so they're small. They're not huge. You can tie them around some paracord. You can put them into some kind of survival kit and I've I created actually little small Altoid survival kits back in the day and I bought one of those for each one of them. They're not very expensive. They're like a dollar and definitely worth it. Now if you want to do something and you want something super loud, you can go over to Amazon and you can search for storm whistle. And there is, uh, they're big, they're kind of ugly looking, uh, but they make them in like black and orange and different things like that. Um, I have one for my wife. I It's on her key ring. And so if she ever needed to draw attention to herself because someone was trying to harm her or, you know, she wanted to, to let people know that, hey, I'm here or whatever, that whistle is super, super loud. And so I just, you know, if you have... Uh, a spouse, you know, or a daughter, and you want them to be safe. They, if they are willing to put it on their keyring, it's not very expensive. I think it's like seven ninety nine, five ninety nine to seven ninety nine, and it is one of the loudest whistles you can buy. And so that might be one that you can uh, that, you know, definitely that you can give to people that you want to consider. Uh, to, you want them to be safe, right? And a little bit uh, safer out there when they're out, you know, out there going from the parking lot to the mall or to the grocery store or whatever. Um, it's a, like I said, it's bigger. It will definitely will not fit in an Altoids 10, but uh, it's one that uh, I would recommend if you want something super, super loud. All right, so uh, moving on. Stay focused and calm while signaling. Jerkiness can mean your message is harder to convey and understand. Being frantic can cause your motions and signals not to be clear. If you want to make sure that you are understood, then try to make precise signals. Don't resort to frantic or panicked motions that are hard or impossible to interpret. And practice your signals. 
Find a friend or practice signaling with your family. Like any skill, the more you do it, the easier it will be. Doing something for the first time when you are scared, tired, injured, dehydrated, and not thinking clearly sometimes doesn't turn out so well. Sometimes kids can think it is a lot of fun to learn signals, so this is one of those things that can help get younger family members more excited about preparedness in general. But patience and staying calm are key to your survival as well as those you are with. A single person panicking can be devastating to those in a crisis. Morale can go downhill in no time. So it may take some time to be rescued even if your signals are seen. Rough terrain and weather can play a major role in how long you are out. The important thing is to keep your head on straight and be as supportive as possible to other members of your party. Food, water, shelter, and medical care are the main things that should be on your mind. If you have any source of entertainment at all, this is a bonus. A rescue situation is a time when a hand-cranked radio or a deck of cards would come in handy if not damaged beyond use. So the reality of signal interpretation. Although I think it is important to know how to signal for all types of help, try to choose the right one for your situation. Only some highly trained people will understand any kind of complex message using a stick and a flag. What about attracting the wrong attention with signals? During good times, it is not likely to happen, but I could see during strife or hard times, signaling acting as a beacon to those that want what you have or at least to see what they can get out of a bad situation. Again, this is a little far-fetched for most situations, but in others, you may want to consider how soon to signal for help. Combat zones are an example of where signaling for assistance may be the end of you. All right, what about signaling when you're injured? If you have an injury or are weak, then you have to make the difficult decision of how to use your energy. Some signaling methods may not be possible and you do not want to injure yourself further if at all possible. Sustained signaling is best done with sources like fire where you can keep it going with windfall wood if available. Screaming and hollering are only effective if there is someone within hollering distance and it can be exhausting in itself. So climb to a higher spot via tree can work but is even more dangerous if you're weak or injured. What I'm saying is that you should think carefully about your choices because there are so many different ways to signal and one may be a better choice for your condition or state of mind even. You don't want to get yourself in a worse situation. What about infrared signaling devices? Rescue planes and helicopters can see infrared light. If you have an infrared device that is big enough, you can turn it on and search parties will be able to see it from the air if there are no major obstructions. I did not know about these until my husband, Matt, pointed out that if some lost hikers had one of those near where we'd live, they wouldn't have had to spend another cold night out. The great thing about infrared is that anyone can operate it, and it requires no flame or reserves of physical strength beyond getting it to a spot to be seen. So there is uh, one she's sharing here, military spec, FRS, MS, 200 or 2000 meter distress light marker, and uh, there is a link to it. So just so we are clear, I have not personally tested this signaling device, but it was one that popped up in my research that got my attention. This signaling device claims to be visible for up to six miles on a clear night, and it is waterproof to 50 meters, so getting it caught out in the rain is not going to affect its performance and durability. A weight of four ounces without batteries is pretty good for what you are getting here. 
A size of 4.5 by 2.2 by 1.1 inches means this will fit in your small pack pocket. While this is around $100, that is not a lot to pay for your personal safety if you travel a lot in remote areas. So there's another uh, a Pegasus 2A IR signal device. It is a compact pro programmable infrared beacon. This IR signal device comes in it at a mere 2.6 ounces when it has batteries in it. The fact that it takes AA batteries is an added convenience. At 2.8 by 1.3 by 0.8 inches, this is a tiny device that can get you out of a fix. Three modes are available, flashing, continuous, SOS mode, and a user program pattern. As you would expect, this is waterproof and impact resistant. A mirror can also be used to signal, but it can be tricky. It is possible that someone will just think it is a trick of the light or they may just not realize where it is coming from or what it means. I am very disappointed in some of the reflective mirrors out there. These are often no more than a sticker that doesn't reflect much. If you want a mirror for signaling, then get a good one. That is a standalone and not part of some low-grade multi-use survival tool. So she's linking here to the Shavewell Company Unbreakable Camping Mirror. This mirror weighs 1.8 ounces and measures a full 4 by 6 inches, making it considerably larger than other versions that are usually 2 by 3 and still weigh over 1 ounce. I like the idea of a mirror that is big enough to be useful for things besides just signaling. Having a way to look at injuries or parts of your body you cannot see well yourself is a good idea. Can't mirrors like this are supposed to be unbreakable, but I have not tested that out. She has a little disclaimer here. Never use a glass mirror for carrying in your pocket. If that is what you just happen to have during an emergency, that is one thing. The last thing you need is to be at more risk for lacerations or punctures. Buy a mirror that is listed as unbreakable. All right, emergency mylar blankets. Emergency blankets are painfully reflective. I am a big fan of emergency blankets due to how many different uses they have. The reflective surface can help you get rescued and signal while you keep warm and dry. They can also be used to help with light and heat when doing indoor gardens. And she's linked to the Mylar blankets there. So how far do you need to signal and how good is the line of sight? Obstructions are a big problem when it comes to signaling. Distance is another major factor. If the line of sight is short, then signaling as far into the air as possible may be the best option. Fire is great, but under very thick cover, it still may be hard to see, so a flare gun may be a good idea. While you may not be able to predict where you are going to be when something happens, you can think about the type of terrain you are going to go over or be in and have a signal plan in place that is right for your situation. So what if something happens and you are unable to signal yourself? Making sure that everyone knows where the flare gun, whistle, fire starting supplies, etc. is at and train them to know how to get attention if rescued is needed. While some methods may not be the best for people of all ages, most can use a whistle, yell, or wave something around. So while you don't have to spend a lot on a signaling device, if you are going to be out remotely very often, you should have at least two ways of signaling for help beyond just hollering. Consider having a method that is very usable even if you are unable to walk, such as a flare gun. Falls and lacerations to the legs, feet, and ankles can take down the most experienced hiker in hardly any time at all. 
All right, guys. So again, that is it over at BackdoorSurvival.com. You know, when I was thinking about this article, a couple of things um, kind of came to to mind. That whistle, of course, that I that I've already brought up. The other one is a laser. And so I have been sent lasers before, you know, real powerful ones that go all the way down the street and actually probably would go further. But uh, I mean, they're pretty powerful. And so if you, it was nighttime and you tried to get, you know, maybe like a plane or, you know, you, you were in a big valley and maybe you saw lights or something like that, a laser like that could possibly be uh, something that you could use in, in the like for instance the one that I have is not very much bigger than uh, a pen uh, you know like a regular writing pen and the, the other thing I was thinking about is when my son was a Cub Scout we took a trip to or we went camping and then we went to one of the observatories I think it was George Bush Observatory and uh, we went to go look at the stars and uh, they had one evening up on uh, on, on one of the hills, they had a bunch of telescopes set up and it was really cool. I mean, they had these telescopes aimed at different constellations and then they had someone there who was able to tell you what you were looking at and would give you information. And it was kind of like this little walking tour that you would take. But these guys had lasers that were so powerful that when you shine them, they could shine, shine them up to the constellations and you could see their light. I mean, it was, it was crazy how powerful those were. And so I don't know how much those run. I don't know, you know, uh, where you would find something like that. But I always thought that that could be used as a signaling device if, you know, you were out somewhere and you needed to throw a signal really far out there. And I'm, I'm wondering if even some of these, like, really high-powered lasers or even the ones that are used for astronomy, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's still lasers of some sort. Um, I'm wondering if they can even be used during the, during the day, right? I mean, you know that there's been people who have gotten in trouble, kids who've gotten in trouble for shooting lasers at uh, planes into cockpits and things like that during the day. And so, you know, those could possibly be used during the day as well, you know, if you were in a survival situation. So just a couple of thoughts out there, if that's something that you run across and you can add that to a pack or, you know, you're, you're going to do a lot of camping or you're going to do a lot of uh, primitive, primitive survival, you know, out there, that's my, that might be something you want to look into. Well, guys, again, that's going to be over at BackdoorSurvival.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can easily get over there. Along with all the other things that I talked about, um, you know, you can find them very easily in the show notes. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 410. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.